Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko. You haven't heard the intro music yet because this is a little announcement slash warning. Uh, during the recording of today's podcast, I noticed right at about 28 to 30 minutes somewhere in there that the uh, jack to my microphone wasn't fully plugged into my recorder. Hence, the external microphone on the recorder uh, was what captured the first 30 minutes of today's show. I simply don't have time today to uh, to retape the show properly, and I had to make a choice to either publish it as is, uh, or not have a show today. And I thought the show came out actually really well, in spite of the huge amount of background noise for most of the show, so I decided to go ahead and publish it. This is your fair warning that you're going to hear a lot of noise. Now, the interesting thing is, this is uh, what my first few shows actually sounded like. This is what my initial audience had to deal with on a daily basis to, uh, to tune in and listen to my show, and they stuck with me. I hope you'll stick with me from this through this one, because there's going to be a lot of great information here, uh, and a lot of good things that are covered. I apologize for the background noise, and rest assured I put some fail saves in place so that this won't happen again. Uh, thank you for listening, and I, I do appreciate you tolerating a, a lot of background noise that's about to show up. makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream, and you can holler. Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing economic times and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Folks, this is episode 91. And uh, before we go into the topic of today's show, i got a few things to go over with you from some feedback I've received and questions that I've had. And something I should have told you about a long time ago, and it just always seems to slip my mind and not get into the show. So I'm going to do this one first. One of our forum members uh, printed up these little uh, bumper stickers, and they're nowhere near the size of a standard bumper. They're small because that's what the forum members wanted. Uh, but they're for our show here. Uh, what they say on them is, Be an ant not a grasshopper, and then www.thesurvivalpodcast.com. Uh, now, this person uh, went ahead and set these up all by uh, themselves and is sending them out in groups of five to anybody that requests one absolutely free. And that's really, really a cool thing. And there's a forum thread where you can request your stickers and uh, also one where you can post pictures of your stickers wherever you put them. Uh, and it's just a way to help virally spread the show and continue to grow our list base, and uh, the fact that I have a listener that would do that is huge, and it means an awful lot to me, and I'm going to put a link from this show's uh, show notes uh, to that thread, so that if you would like five of these uh, stickers, you can uh, request them. I think the uh, gentleman only had uh, about 500 printed off. I have no idea how many are left. Initially, I didn't say anything on the air, because I wanted to leave it for the active forum members, because that's where the whole thing started up. Uh, but that is available. I'll paste a link, and you might want to get your stickers before they're out. And if there's a real demand for them, maybe the eventual Survival Podcast store will have them available. Uh, but we'll, we'll get to that bridge when we come to it. All right. Uh, the next thing is uh, I got a lot of uh, really great feedback on yesterday's show about veterans and Veterans Day, and specifically about someone I know who was uh, never even actually knew the man's name, but that was severely injured doing a job that anybody would have looked at and just went, well, he's a construction worker, he's a truck driver, you know, he's not in harm's way. Um, and, you know, I appreciate all the feedback. What I didn't get on yesterday's show was really any comments on the blog. 
uh, if I could ask if you had great feedback, and many of you did on both the forum and on the uh, and just direct emails to me, maybe provide some of that feedback on my blog. And the reason for that is that show's starting to get shared with a lot of people now. People are coming there, and uh, I think it's important that the people that see the show see the reaction that other members uh, who of the audience who have listened to it have. That what you say matters too. And a lot of you guys are saying things like, you know, I so appreciate the military and all. Well, it's great to tell me that, but I don't need to hear it. There's there's plenty of people out there that really do, and uh, that's one way that you can kind of plant a seed. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about in a way today planting seeds and, and other things as investments. And in this case, you're making an investment in somebody's somebody's emotional well-being. Because some of these guys come back pretty damaged from the things that happen to them. They're never the same again. And the more they see and the more they hear that somebody appreciates them, the better. So I, I'd ask that maybe you consider uh, adding your comments to that post. Uh, specifically those of you who did email me directly with comments. Some of them were amazing, and I, I just think they would be better there than just uh, for for me alone. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about real briefly is just a question I got from somebody, and it basically said, and I can't give you exactly what it said, but it basically said, I hope you're not done talking about the economy, because you said repeatedly that some people don't really like your, your shows about the economy, but I really do, and I've noticed as of late, uh, you really haven't done anything about the economy again. Okay, fair enough. And there'll be more shows about the economy, and we'll talk about it from time to time. We're not going to do it today. Uh, but I'm going to keep my show varied. I'm going to, like I said, one day is going to be about the economy, the next day is going to be about rifle maintenance, the next day is going to be about gardening, and the next day is going to be about organic gardening. And the day after that, we'll talk about investing. And the day after that, you know, we'll talk about ways that you can create uh, your own little home businesses so that you have some self-sufficiency from that. We'll keep moving around. The reason I haven't talked about the economy much lately is because now everybody admits that the economy is in the crapper. If you notice, when I was really talking about the economy a lot, it was before the meltdown, and then as the meltdown was occurring. In other words, I was sounding the alarm because nobody would tell you the truth. And I was pissed off, and it was one of the motivations that started my show, and it's why I dedicated so much time to it, because back in June, July, and August, I went, there's a freaking economic freight train that's about to run over America, and these assholes on our news channels and our media, and all these investing shows are talking about everything sunny, and, you know, Jim Cramer's act on, we got to ask ourselves, do we, do we think things are going to be as, as bad as they are today, 18 months from now? I don't think so. Stay the course, right? And, you know, I mean, what worse than Bush? Just stay the course. And, you know, and then this clown comes out like three or four weeks ago and goes, well, anybody that, that's got their money in the market that's going to need it in the next five years should take it out now. He's going to worry 80 on his own position in several months. All right? And, and I, I don't mean to be too hard on some of these people because as I've explained before, when it comes to, down to it, Jim Cramer can't come on national TV and say liquidate all your mutual funds. Dave Ramsey can't come on national radio and say liquidate all your mutual funds. If those guys do that, Millions of Americans will do it. That'll actually drive the market down, which happened anyway, but that's what will happen initially. And some of these guys with these massive national audiences, one statement like that could push the market down. But I didn't care. 
Because the reality was, anybody with eyes to see and ears to hear, and the willingness to do a little bit of time, some research, could tell that all of this stuff was reaching a critical mass, and that it was about to explode, and that the first explosion would only be the beginning. And, and the reason I haven't been on this hard is because they're not lying to you about that yet. Right now, the, the straight story from the news has pretty much been, yeah, it's going to get worse from here. And as long as they keep telling you that, and that's the way that it is, I won't be as on it as I used to be, because at least you know now. So when I was here screaming in July and August, and even a little bit into September, it was because I wanted you to know, here it comes. Act now while you have the chance. And the beautiful thing about this podcast is anybody that's listening to this for the first time today, go back and listen to my shows about finance and economics at the beginning of my, 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 my lineup, you know, episodes 1 through 30, 1 through 40. And let's pick out the ones on the economy and listen to it. And, you know, I'm on record now. That's nice to be on record with this stuff. But that's why I've kind of backed off it lately. Now, I do have some things planned coming up. But, you know, at this point, if you're not aware, well, you're not paying attention. And if you're listening to this show, I figure you pay attention. So I keep beating a dead horse, so to speak. We'll look at what we can do about the economy as we go into the new presidential administration next year. We'll talk it. Uh, well, we're going to definitely talk about it when we hit December. Because in December, you're going to get bomb freaking farted with, buy this, buy that. And, oh, we have to do our patriotic duty and go out and blow money we don't have. Because if you don't, you're killing a small businessman. No, you're killing Walmart. That sucks for the economy, but I'm sorry. Walmart killed the small businessman. You're killing the Walmart man. All right? And the, and the Target man. And the mall man. Right? And the Chinese manufacturing by pulling back your spending at Christmas. You know what you do this year at Christmas, folks? We'll talk about this more, but the short answer, you go out and you do whatever you can to have a wonderful Christmas to share with your family. You make some things of your own, right? You have everybody together in your house. Instead of having everybody buying gifts for everybody, do an ornament exchange. Have everybody bring an ornament to your party. I'll tell you what to do with that in uh, maybe next week so you have time to plan your party, because this is a cool thing we do every year. And it's, it's inexpensive, alright? And then, when you do buy somebody something for Christmas, try to buy stuff made in America. You want to support that? You don't want to, don't listen to their crap. Support the small businessman by buying with the small businessman, or at least the American businessman, manufactures in America, bills for in America, pays his people for in America, and keeps the money in America. There you go. That's what to do with the... Christmas, and I really didn't plan on talking about that, just bringing the subject up. You know, it's a sore point for me, because I know what's coming, folks. I know you're going to get ramrodded with the message. Your patriotic duty is to go out and blow money, fire up the MasterCard, fire up the Visa, go deeper in debt. The clowns right now, what are they doing to solve the problems with uh, with our housing market? They're wanting more money to put people deeper in debt. Yeah, that'll fix it, because that wasn't the problem. Oh, wait, that was the problem in the first place. Anyway, let me get off this and transition now. Okay, one more thing I wanted, like, just announce, um, so to speak, is the uh, the fact that somebody's got in touch to me, touch with me recently about an organization called the Appleseed Organization or Appleseed. I'm not sure what the right name is, and I'm going to do a show on this group because I think it's really cool. And what they're all about is teaching people to be riflemen, real riflemen, 
like our forefathers were. They do two-day boot camp workshops. They have chapters all over the United States. Uh, they've offered to actually sponsor, I believe, at least I have a tentative offer to do some sponsorship of the listener appreciation contest and give away uh, a trip to one of their seminars, uh, one of their you know uh, weekend events or something like that. Uh, gonna be get, they're going to get back in touch with me about details about that. But I'll put a link to them from the show notes here as well. Um, but yeah, the Appleseed group is, is just really cool, and uh, it's something that you should check out. That's really all I have to say about it right now. Uh, like I said, I actually want to do a full show on them in the future. And, and the next one, before I go into the topic of today's show, and I'm going to be talking about this every day, again, uh, John Willis from SOE Tactical Gear donated um, 15 tactical stockings. And if you didn't look at yesterday's show, go look at it. There's a picture there. Uh, but these are stockings that are built out of, like, the web gear and Velcro, camouflage pattern, black tactical, OD green, uh, things like that. I'm going to be giving away some of them on Friday in the listener appreciation contest, for tune, so tune in there. And please go by the forum, get involved in the discussion. We're still looking for some place that people can send these stockings by going out and purchasing them themselves, stuffing them up full of goodies, and sending them off to soldiers, and we're calling the program Stockings for Soldiers. So please get involved with that. And again, I'm really looking for one consolidated place where we can send stuff where it will be distributed. That's our goal right now, to find a place that would go, yes, send that stuff to us, we'll take it, we'll distribute it. I really cannot dedicate the time and resources to shepherd this. This is going to be something my community, my listener community is going to rally around and get done. Uh, I'll make you a deal, though. Uh, I will make a very large contribution uh, in my my own right into stuffing a bunch of these things and sending them off if you guys figure out a way where we can all do that and find me a place where they can go. We've even got a distributor that's willing to ship to a central location for us uh, to help cut down on overall shipping costs. So we just need a place where the stuff can go to. Someone that says, yeah, we take that kind of stuff in. The big thing is I don't want to just send in random crap and have it assembled. Uh, There's a lot of places where you can just send a whole bunch of stuff and then they divide it up as they see fit. I want these stockings with a bunch of stuff in them to go to a soldier, an individual soldier. And it can be completely at random who ends up with them. I don't care, but I want that personal touch delivered, so we're looking for someone that will help facilitate that. Uh, and that's really important to me. It's becoming my pet project of, of the Christmas season this year, uh, to do something for those brave men and women that stand out there and sometimes, uh, like yesterday's show, have to continue to die uh, till the 11th month, 11th hour, 11th day, because somebody thought it would sound cool when it went down in the archives of history. And uh, we really owe those folks a big debt, so let's make sure we do something cool for them this year. This is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. So now on to uh, kind of the main topic of today's show, and even though I used up a lot of time in the beginning on these other things, that's okay, because it's not going to be a really long show anyway. Uh, What we're going to talk about, though, is just understanding how you have to see uh, things like agriculture, uh, which is, you know, your garden, your stuff you grow every year, permaculture, which is like planting trees and shrubs and developing the land and, and, uh, you know, setting up wildlife management, uh, down to storing your food. You have to see all of those the same way that you would look at an investment. And it's really important to go in with that mindset because if you don't, what happens is you have a tendency to get really excited about this stuff, do a little bit, the world doesn't melt down, you get distracted by something shiny, and you go off to live in your normal life again, and you stop preparing and you stop building that better life. 
I don't want that to happen. So for it to be, you know, solid in you, you have to be grounded in something. You can't be like a lot of, and I'm going to say all of them because I don't want to make this political, but a lot of the Obama voters that have no idea why they actually voted for Obama. Now, you know what? 60 plus million people voted for him. A lot of those people knew what they were voting for. But millions of them didn't. They were clueless. You'd say, why are you voting for him? Oh, it's politics. Like, what? Uh, like, they're not grounded in anything. And those are the people who are going to turn on the guy, right? Well, if you aren't grounded in why you're doing these things and the format in which they're being done and how to look to them and measure success, then when they don't work out right away or they don't pay off right away, then you'll have a tendency to turn on your own planning. And you'll short sell yourself, and you'll, you'll you'll do yourself a disservice. We don't want that to happen. So how do I mean? How do, how do I mean this? Okay, well, let's put it this way. Let's say you've gotten all excited about my gardening podcast. Right now you're starting a layout where you're going to have some raised beds, and you'll find that drawing a little pencil on a piece of paper is a hell of a lot easier than digging the ground up, bringing in timbers or boards or just digging or whatever you're going to have to do. And, uh, you, you know, you start figuring out, well, I'm going to need compost, and I'm going to need uh, some, you know, composted manure as well, and I'm going to need some filter, uh, topsoil, and I'm going to need this, and then I'm going to have to buy plants, or I'm going to have to buy seeds, and if I have to buy seeds, I'm going to have to start them. And you start to run the numbers, and you'll quickly figure out that in your first year, that for most people, unless you just are blessed with that beautiful, fertile, rich ground that you can just basically cut the sod out of and plant into, and, and if you're... If you got land like that, God bless you for it. Good for you. But a lot of us don't. You'll find out that first-year gardening is usually a break-even to even a slightly losing proposition financially. All right, Unless you really have a lot of time to put a lot of sweat equity into things and work really hard. You don't have a compost bin yet, so you're going to have to build a compost bin. Right? And, and even when you build a compost bin, well, you got to build the waste material up to a level where it starts to turn out compost. And you probably aren't eating as many vegetables as you will be once your garden's really running heavy because you'll have them there and you'll eat them every day, so you have less waste from your kitchen. So you have to go out and maybe buy some straw and, uh, and, and things like that to get your compost bin going off. So there's all these expenses and all this effort into a garden in the first year. And it's why I've said before, start small. One or two beds your first year, maybe three. And if you think you can build ten and that's what you want, I'm not going to get in your way, man. Go ahead and do it. Remember, this show's always one man's opinion. I'm just saying, unless you have massive amounts of time and maybe some equipment, like if you have a little tractor or something, then all this stuff gets easier. But in most instances, you're going to be better off starting small, working on a few beds, starting now in the winter, taking your time, getting them done right, getting them off the ground, and accept that your first year, your plants will not thrive the way they're going to thrive in your second, third, fourth year. Because your soil hasn't built up its composition yet. You haven't got enough little worms and beneficial critters down there doing their jobs yet. There's not enough organic matter that's really, because even when you add compost, it's not really part of the soil. It's a layer. And even when you mix it in, it's separated. It takes time for this stuff to build structure. Alright? So you look at all that and you go, God, I mean, I, after all that crap, and, and I've had people that I know that don't be well that don't get why I garden say, well, you just go down to Tom Thumb or Kroger or something. You can buy vegetables pretty cheap. They're not that expensive. Why go through all this grief? Well, come look at my beds this year. My beds that are two years old. My beds that I can take my hand now and shove six inches deep into them without a shovel or a trowel. 
and what they're going to look like next year after I coat them uh, with organic matter, till them in and cover them, put them to bed for a month or two at the coldest part of the year and build up the worm population and look at them next year and watch what comes out of them next year. And then you'll really understand why we do this because it's not, you know, it's the same thing. You don't go find, let's say, a great bank that's paying like a good interest rate, like ING Direct or something. You'll find a CD there that's paying like 4.5%. You put $1,000 in there today, right? And you know you're going to make 4.5% and the market can go to hell and you don't care because you're not going to lose money. We don't show up 10 days later and go, man, I only made like 14 cents. This investment sucks. I'm getting out of it. You understand that you put that money in there for six months or a year or two years or whatever it is, and you have to let the investment play out. You know it's a safe investment. You know it's a secure investment. You know what your return is. So you have to put it aside and let it do its job. With a garden, you have to accept the same thing, except you actually have to do something. All right? And, and then when you start to think about the return of investment once you're a few years into this, you have this good, fertile, rich land. And it's easy to just go out and add a little bit of compost every once in a while to the top and till it a little bit and keep the weeds down with a sharp hoe. And it becomes simple and easy to garden. Then you think about this. This is your payoff. You buy a pack of 25 pepper seeds of a variety of pepper you can't even buy in the store for two bucks. All right? That means that each seed costs you less than a dime, but let's use a dime. You put that seed into a little pot, you get it started, and once that pepper is doing well, you stick it in the ground. And then these, like these little, I'm talking about these little miniature gourmet peppers, these little sweet ones. I love these things. They sell for about five to six dollars for a little crate of them. That has, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 of them in it. All right. So seven dollars for 12 peppers. Right. So you're looking at 50 cents a pepper. They're pretty small. <laughs> One plant in a season, well taken care of in rich fertile land, will produce over a hundred of them. What's your return of investment now? How much is a good heirloom tomato cost at a farmer's market? Not the crap you buy at Tom Thumb, and even if you use those numbers, it'll work out. Compared to the nickel for that one tomato seed that grew into a huge tomato plant that produces. How much are the little wonderfully sweet cherry tomatoes when you go buy them in a store? Compared to one seed to a plant that might produce a thousand. One big cherry tomato plant might produce a thousand cherry tomatoes. You only need one of those suckers, trust me. Uh, you plant, you know, half a dozen cherry tomato plants and, you know, I, I don't know, you, you, there's a lot of organic matter, I guess, for composting. You can't eat it. It's unbelievable how much those things produce. But it doesn't come in year one, and if you don't start gardening till March, and you're not putting your plants out until the scorching heat of summer, it doesn't really come at all, but you got to start somewhere. That's why I did a whole bunch on winter gardening and suggested you started preparing your beds now if you don't have them. Because if you do it now, if you do the techniques that I've told you about, you know, mark out your beds, cut the sod, pull the sod out, take a pitchfork, put it 8, 10 inches into the ground and rock the soil. Don't dig it, just break it up. Flip the sod over, upside down and put it back inside the bed that you built. Put down a layer of compost. Bring in your topsoil. Put down another layer of compost. Put down a layer of organic matter. Put down a layer of newspaper. Stack something on the newspaper so it doesn't blow away. And leave it alone until you're ready to work it 60, 90 days from now. 
you know, maybe dump a couple uh, tubs of uh, night crawlers underneath it right before you add the newspaper. All right? Throw some leaves in there. Just rig some leaves up and just dig them in as you're adding your topsoil so there's some more organic batter. Give that 60 days. You'll be surprised what will happen your first year. But that's if you start now. If you wait till spring, you're going to have to kind of rush it. I had to do that with a bed I put in this year. I had to rush it. And it didn't produce that well. It's in really good shape now, but it took a growing season to get it there. And if I would have started it the year before, it would be in much better shape. So this year I'm putting two new beds in, and they'll be done before December is over. And I have my greenhouse coming. So these are all things that are like, again, like investments, though, because now I'm going to take a nickel tomato seed or a dime pepper seed, and I'm going to turn it into $50, $60 worth of produce. No investment will give you that kind of return, and you got to eat anyway. Right. So look at another type of investment. Let's say you want to grow apples, and you live in an area where apple trees will do well. Okay. Well, you're going to need at least two apple trees. You can't have one apple tree unless your neighbor has apple trees. They're going to have to be the right kinds. Apple trees, you know, if you plant two of the wrong kinds of apple, and they bloom at different times of the, the, the year, like once in early and once in late, and they come into bloom at totally different times, they won't pollinate each other. And there's only one apple tree out there, and I can't remember what it's called right now, that's self-fertile. So you need two trees. Good apple tree, 30 bucks a tree. So you go out and you spend $60 minimum for your for your little mini apple orchard. Let's say you want three, so you spend 90 Okay? 90 bucks on trees. Now you got to go out and dig holes. Got to put these things in the ground. Now, even though by their second year they'll have put out huge root systems, and third year definitely big tap roots, and they'll be able to weather even you know drought-like weather most times. That first year you got to water them like they're a plant, because the root system was in that little bucket or that burlap sack, and it only has so much area that it can go. You've got to coat the uh, the trunk with some kind of protection. You probably have to stake it up. If you don't put like something around your uh, your trunk, uh, it's likely that uh, vermin of some sort will eat your bark off in certain areas. Uh, rabbits and, and things like that will come in and chew the bark off in the wintertime. Uh, you you got to be careful when you, if you use a weed ear when you're around it. You don't cut into the young tree. He's got all this work. All right. Second year, there's still quite a bit of work. Third year, you can cut it. You know, you trim it, you prune it, you let it kind of go, and now it starts to really become what it is. At the third year, you haven't eaten an apple yet. Now, for ninety dollars, you could buy a lot of freaking apples. But by that fourth year, when those trees are starting to spread their branches, now your property has these beautiful trees that grow into this this, this gorgeous blossoming every spring. Get beautiful green foliage on them and provide shade in the summer. Produce apples in the fall, and then the leaves turn color. All right, you'll get way more than ninety dollars worth of apples out of three apple trees if you take good care of them in the first two to three years. Those will produce apples after you're dead. They'll still be producing massive, thousand percent returns. Returns that if you put them on paper for a paper investment, they throw you in jail for lying. Plus, they increase the value of your property. Plus, you get to enjoy them. But if you look at what's the return of investment in 24 months, it's zero. You have a spindly little tree, 24 months from now, it's just starting to realize what it is and just starting to grow. 
But if you don't see the investment potential, you won't put the sweat equity and work into making it what it can be. And the same thing can be said to a lesser degree for things like raspberries, blueberries, blackberries. You plant this little shrub. First year, you get this spindly growth. Maybe you get a couple fruits, depending on how old they were. But then you have to prune it. You have to deal with it. You have to mulch the thing so the root crown's protected if you're in too cold of an area. But a year later, boom, these huge canes come up. You have this bountiful crop. Now, maybe you spent $15, $20 on vines or bushes. Maybe you spent 40 or 50 on certain varieties. But then go look at what fresh raspberries, what fresh blackberries, what fresh blueberries, what fresh strawberries cost in a store. And you start to realize that this investment that you make in a permaculture thing, like a tree or a bush or a plant that continually re, uh, reproduces without you doing a lot to it. Uh, even things like asparagus. You know, once you get asparagus going by its third year, like it's a perfect example, asparagus. You put these little dirty crowds around, they don't even look like something that'll grow. Stuff comes out the first year, you just kind of have to let it go so you don't rob its energy and don't prevent it from becoming what it can become underground because the real growth is happening underground. Second year, some asparagus varieties you can harvest. Most you really should. Third year, though, you have these beautiful little asparagus spears come up. You cut what you need all spring long, and then in the summer you let it turn into this huge, gorgeous fur. And every year for 25, 30 years after that, you get a harvest, and you don't have to do a whole lot. But you have to work for those first two, three years. You have to wait for the money you spent, the ground that you've prepared to pro- provide for you years down the road. And all these things that are permaculture in nature, asparagus, strawberries, tr- fruit trees, nut trees, the beauty of them is once they start producing, you can't hardly stop them. Pecan tree. You plant a couple of pecan trees. Five to seven years, you're getting nothing but debris from the nut crops that fail. Right? You have to take care of them just like those apple trees. Ten years to decades seems like forever. Ten years you have a grove of pecans producing buckets and buckets and buckets full of pecans and not only can feed you, you can take out and sell. People will be happy to buy them. You know, I mean, that's or, or you can leave them there for the squirrels and the deer and use a part of your land management. But all of these things have to be seen as investments. If you don't see them investments, there's absolutely no way you're ever going to really make the effort that's required to uh, to make them pay off. Well, folks, I just realized that I've been recording this whole show with uh, a microphone issue, and the audio probably just got a lot better for you, but it's probably been pretty bad, and the show's gone so well, you're just going to have to deal with the, the audio quality of the show, and uh, I apologize for that, but I guess it's just what happens sometimes with mobile podcasting. Uh, so what you got is the uh, the recorder's mic up until this point right here. But, I mean, yeah, that's what you got to do. you got to look at all of this stuff like investing. You know, another perfect example of this right now is reloading. Now, reloading will pay itself back a little quicker. Um, if you go out and buy something like a Lee Anniversary Kit, single-stage press, and you re- reload 5 to 10 boxes of uh, 3006 or 308s, you've done paid your investment back. Uh, but reloading is going to continue to become a higher and higher return activity. I just read a blog post by someone uh, who I found because they linked to my blog and, and said good things about it, so I appreciate that. Uh, but they were talking about the cost of ammunition. And it's practically doubled for many brands and varieties uh, between last year and this year, just over 12 months. Uh, things like Siller and Bellet uh, 
uh, and 40 and 9 millimeter have, have really doubled. Wolf brand ammunition has gone up. A lot of it's been because of hype. Uh, there's been this, uh, this uh, boycott, basically, by the United States, an embargo against importation of uh, uh, military goods uh, due to some issues with Iran. It doesn't affect the civilian market at all, but some rumors have started up, and that's you know allowed retailers, honestly, to falsely drive up the price of wolf ammunition. But a lot of the increase is real because you're seeing it in Remington. Right, you're seeing it with boxes of Winchester, and you're not seeing it so much with the premium rounds that are already, you know, priced at a premium. Uh, stuff like, you know, uh, you know, the, the short, uh, the short action magnums and stuff like that, three thirty eight Federals, and these things that are already thirty bucks a box. Uh, those haven't really gone up too extensively because there's a lot of margin built into them already. But the lower stuff, like you know, standard boxes of three oh eight, thirty oh six, two two three, thirty thirty Winchester, thirty five Remington. The stuff people use every day, 44 Magnum, 357. Um, you've seen prices on that stuff really go up. Not that long ago, I could go buy a white box uh, Winchester of uh, 45 ACP uh, rounds to go practice with for like eight, nine bucks, and now they're fifteen, sixteen dollars in a lot of places. So. I think we'll continue to see that happen. I don't want to be political today, but you know you're going to see Obama come in and uh, probably do a lot of things to drive up the price of firearms and ammunition. That's the fear. Hopefully, it won't happen, but it probably will. New taxes. I mean, it'll be well. If they want their guns, they'll pay taxes, and that'll be the compromise, uh, which many of our ilk will, will, will bitch about, but at least go. Oh, you know what? Uh, it's better than taking them away. But the harder thing to tax is going to be components. It's going to be a lot harder to tax brass, because you can save it, uh, primers, powder, and bullets. And you can buy that stuff in bulk, and you can kind of double up, because, for instance, I shoot 306 and 308. Well, there's several powders that are good for reloading both. You can put the same bullets in them. You put the same primers in them. The only thing really different is the brass and the charge weight. And I control the charge weight with um, with a scale and a powder measure. And I control the you know the brass shaping with a, with a reloading die. So with that, I can buy one huge amount of components in bulk, maybe some 150 and 180 grain bullets, which is a pretty wide spectrum for what they can do. I can buy one or two varieties of powder. I can buy a large amount of uh, you know uh, large rifle primers. Put that all aside, and that now is a secure investment, but yet I can fine-tune my ammunition, so that's another form of investment. It's usually easier to understand than digging a hole in the ground for a garden bed, because it pays itself back quicker, and you can see the results faster. But it's the same philosophy. What's going to happen to prices tomorrow? What's going to happen to the prices of food? I did a show earlier this year to explain the value of saving food, having a garden, raising small livestock. And it was how much food has gone up. And I put together a portfolio. Actually, the LA Times did it for me. Right, a portfolio of food that if you had invested in storing it over one year had a 37% return, while the stock market had a negative return of almost you know cutting itself in half. All right, and, and food prices have scaled back a little bit with the global recession that we're going through, but they're still continuing to slowly march their way back up. They're doing the hockey stick thing. They go way up, come down a little bit, and they start to go back up. They come down and go up, but the overall trend is up. It's been up forever. You don't believe me? Go look at the price of bread in 1980, 1970, 1960, and 1950, 1990, and 2000, and today. 
and, and just look at the price of a loaf of bread. It'll tell you everything you need to know about food prices. So when you took all this effort and put it into gardening, um, you know, I got to tell you that it, the longer you do it, the higher the return will become. Think about it this way. You grow open pollinated and heirloom quality seed. You follow rules of separation in your garden. You get to a point where you're, most of your seed every year, instead of buying new seeds, you're buying new varieties to try new things in a new bed or a new area. Right, So you're just expanding your garden every year, and you're bringing in new stock to expand it. But your, your, your fundamentals, your peppers, your tomatoes, your lettuce, your spinach, your beets, all those things, you start to save your seeds. Now it's your return of investment. Because that one dime pepper seed produced hundreds of peppers for you. Him and his brother on three or four plants have produced a thousand peppers that year, those little lovely little peppers. And then, what happens next? You select the best fruit, you save the seeds, and now that dying pepper seed only not only produced the peppers, it produced seed for next year. And it's again, and again, and again, and over, and over, and over, and the return becomes infinitesimal. And you get to a point of self-sufficiency with your gardening. Where the only reason that you're buying from a seed company is, one, because you want to see them stay in business, so you throw a little seed business out there every year. And two, because, you know what, I'd like to add a new variety to my garden this year. right? Because you don't require it. You can survive without it. That's what survival is all about. But it starts with the investment. And it starts with picking up that shovel and starting to work the ground. And looking at it and go, yeah, this ground's crap. Like in my my backyard, my ground is black gumbo clay. It's amazing anything grows in it. But my beds are now rich, deep, organic, well-structured soil because I put the effort into it. And trust me, folks, it's worth the effort. Well, folks, I think that kind of wraps up the show. I hope I've given you a new way to look at your gardening, a new way to look at your permaculture, a new way to look at all the things that you do in your survival planning, storing food, reloading ammunition, storing ammunition. I don't care what it is. got to see this stuff as an investment. And you got to look at what's my return of investment if I do things the right way and I take control of them. And I do that for the next year, two, three, four years. Will this be an investment I can hand down to my children if they're willing to receive it? And in many cases, the answer is absolutely. This will be an investment that I can hand down to my children. Again, I apologize about the crappy audio, but you know what? Let's call it a retro show. That's how the show was when I originally started it, right? And, uh, you know... Hopefully it's not that bad. I'll listen to it myself, but I'm going to put it out there. Uh, I'll probably record a little intro that lets you know in advance. You probably have already heard this by now. I'll say something like, hey, you know, uh, this is what happened today. Uh, but uh, hopefully you'll take it for the information that it is. You'll forgive my technical uh, glitch here. And, and hopefully you'll continue working hard to make your life a better life no matter what happens. This is with Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler It really doesn't matter cause it all gets spent 